And welcome back. This is Dads on the Air coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, men's and boys' issues, and more. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and it is our privilege today to welcome to the show Rosie Ayliff. Good morning. Good morning, Rosie. Rosie's career was that of a teacher, travel writer and journalist, Now it is as a campaigner and author. Rosie's new book is called Far From Home, which was also the title of a two-part Australian story aired on ABC TV in July 2017. This book is the true story of love, death and loss. It details the courage of one person to take on an entrenched system of scandalous exploitation of young workers in Australia. As Billy Bragg says in a cover note, a powerful read. Rosie, welcome to Dads on the Air. Thank you. Good morning. This part of your life began uh, with a a knock on the door at 10 o'clock at night. How did you react when you saw two police officers standing on your doorstep? Well, to be honest, I assumed that they'd come to tell us that the the property wasn't um, secure because that's the last time they came. We were in bed and they walked into the house mm. and, and said, look, your garage door's open and so's your front door. So I thought it was something like that, you know, something trivial. But when they have to come in and sit down, then you know when it's that time of night that there's something more serious. They said that Mia had been mortally wounded and fatally wounded, sorry, fatally wounded. And, you know, she had an accident. But then I realised what fatally meant and that she was dead. As will become obvious, Mia was uh, Rosie's only child, her daughter, who was uh, in a place called Home Hill, about 80 kilometres south of Townsville, where this news was, was coming from. Going back to, uh, to Mia's earlier life, um, you had uh, separated from her father when she was only about three. Did she have any uh, ongoing anxiety from that separation, do you think? She was... It's an interesting question. Um, she loved him very much, and she was concerned for him from being very little, sort of three years old. And I always kept the door open for him, and he was always welcome. And for that reason, I think, and because she had such a good relationship with his family, he had three daughters by a previous marriage, and they always stayed for it sisters to Mia and she travelled out to meet his family in America so yes anxiety on his behalf but in the end he remarried and he closed the door on Mia I never closed the door on him so you had to be the single mother how did you adjust for for being a single mother well financially it was tough but I decided from really early on to stop working and uh, you know I lived off benefits which was sort of okay back then and I could survive on benefits as a single parent so for a year I just spent my time with Mia and then I I gradually started doing some some writing work and things where I could make money from home as she sort of 
started nurseries and things like that. So I kind of had this juggling act going on. But I remember once going to see her in a childcare nursery and she was actually, she had a hammer and nails and wood, which was great, but she's completely unsupervised. Mm. So I took her out of nursery and then we just spent more time together. So it was that kind of thing where I was just making it up as I went along, but I just knew I needed to spend as much time as I could with her in those early years. And I'm sure a lot of you rubbed off on her because uh, she inherited from you uh, that love of uh, travel and adventure, didn't she? Well, I took her on a trip, actually. Um, I was the author of The Rough Guide to Turkey, and it needed updating. And I thought, well, I'll do this. Uh, I'll take her with me. And so she she wasn't even three when we did. She was sort of, she wasn't even two, come to think of it. She was just not even toddling yet she was not walking and um i took her on that first trip to uh turkey and we traveled a lot together after that as well what brought mia to australia that wasn't on your hadn't not been on your agenda was it no um but she had she had friends who'd been and she liked the sound of it and she saw it as a potential home i think even from you know, from what she'd heard of it, and uh, she was always a sun lover, and she loved beaches and swimming, and, you know, she was healthy, and she liked... And also, she, when she got here, she found she fitted in better than she expected, because there's a, a large Asian community in um, in Brisbane and Sydney. She saw a lot of Asian people, and she didn't feel like she she was so different as she had done in the UK, even, so... Yeah. Yes, because her, her father was Asian and um, she yeah. was one of these beautiful Eurasian women, wasn't she? She was, yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, did Mia really want to get into agriculture? I can't think of anything further from Mia's, uh, from Mia's life plan than agriculture. But when I heard she was going into the field to do this work, I thought, well, it's a government scheme and you know, it'll be well regulated and yeah, I'm all for it. You know, I don't think it'll do her any harm. A few early mornings and some hard work. I didn't see the problem. And the problem which you've gone into detail about is, well, I think the biggest part of the problem is this requirement for 88 days work with uh, with a farmer or a miner or someone in those industries. And that just seems open to corruption and and. And, and worse. Can you tell us a bit how that 88-day that requirement works? Well, as you said, um, in order to get the second year, people on the 417 visa have to do three months, 88 days, in um, in one of these industries. Um, but only, only in remote postcodes. It's only remote postcodes that are allowed. This immediately lends itself to to a power imbalance because the the young people are desperate to get that work and there are too many of them at any one time apart from in the last year to um, to employ so the turnover of staff can be very rapid and if they don't comply with whatever the demands are then they can just be moved on and another you know another worker can be brought in so it's that power imbalance that's created by the link to the visa that's the issue. 
So they can get one year as some sort of on a tourist visa or of something of that nature, and th- but it's the second year that's the problem. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We hear about backpackers a lot, but um, I think you uh, you recognised how important backpackers have have become to the Australian economy, and they have been. I think this 88-day scheme was introduced in about 2005. So it's it's now a, a major part of, of agricultural uh, work, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, well, you can see from what's happening now in Australia how important your migrant workers are because they aren't coming in. And I believe you still have. You haven't had shortages in your shop, and, but the crops are rotting in the field. Mm. Am I right? You are, you are, yes. I mean, the reason why they're not coming at the moment, of course, is um, COVID-19, which has stopped most international travel. So, yes, it, it is a bit of a crisis if uh, we don't, if the farmers don't have that uh, that cheap, uh, cheap labour to go out into the field. So, um, and it's a significant part of the economy, isn't it? It is, yes. Rosie, look, we've reached uh, a part of the program where we always ask our guests to pick a song. Would you like to tell us which song you've picked? I've picked uh, Take Me to the Church by Hosier. And what was the attraction for this song? It was um, one, uh, a very close friend of me, it's her boyfriend, who she was going to travel with, a a man called Elliot. Um, He was the first person I phoned when I found out that Mia had died. And he learnt this song with Mia sat beside him. Um, and she loved it, and he played it at her funeral. My lover's got humor. She's a giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak, she's the last true mouthpiece. Every Sunday's getting more bleak. Fresh poison each week. We were born sick, you heard them say it. My church offers no absolutes. She tells me worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well.
Take Me to Church by Hosier, a song with some very special significance for our guest today, Rosie Aliff. Rosie is the author of a new book called Far From Home, in which she talks about uh, all the things that have happened to her since uh, her daughter was uh, was tragically killed in 2016. Rosie, uh, you found out that, uh, that Mia had decided to go to this place called Home Hill, and uh, as I mentioned, it's south of Townsville. There were, right from the start, there were some indications that everything was not right, wasn't it? Weren't there? Uh, yes. She messaged me um, to say that the hostel, the hostel felt like a hostile environment, and um, she took her camera around to video the place. And I thought, I can't see anything wrong with that. It looked fine to me. Um, well, it looked like a hostel, like you'd expect a working hostel to look. So I wasn't taking it too seriously. But then she said that the owner had screamed at her. She, on a, After her first day of work, she'd been given a bottle of beer, which she put on a shelf. And the owner had seen it and had just gone really crazy and said, if I ever see you bring alcohol into this place again... I'm going to throw you out onto the street. And Mia was really upset because she wanted to do her 88 days, but because she didn't understand the reaction. And I assumed it was because they had an alcohol-free policy. But no, they they had a bar of their own. So it was about their profits. But then Mia told that she'd seen a dead snake and spiders. And I did a bit of research and found that there was a... There's a procedure when you see a snake. So I said to her, do you know what to do when you see a snake or a deadly spider? And she said, no. And I said, have you had any induction into this work or into what you might what might happen to you in the field or what to do? And no. So that sort of started alarm bells ringing for me. And I just said, keep a diary. Are you there? Just keep a diary. So we've got a record of what's happening to you. Uh, but then I was on red alert because I could tell from the way she was talking that there was something else, that there was something. She was phoning me a lot, much more so than in the rest of her trip. And um, just she said that she'd met this woman who could rescue her. 
woman had, had helped other people and she could she could save Mia. And, I, you know, I just didn't understand what she was talking about. And she, she, she said, I've met the woman since, the one called Lorraine Garizia. And Lorraine told me that Mia was afraid and that she'd asked to move room and she hadn't been given permission to move room. And later I found out that she'd been put in a room with the guy who killed her. Yes, yeah, so there were the uh, the usual um, Australian worries of snakes and spiders and, uh, well, I suppose that's about it. But uh, she was doing fairly menial work, I think, wasn't she, on this farm? Well, the first job she had was um, picking up stones and throwing them onto a cart. She said that was easy work, that was the easy job, so she was happy that she got that. Um, but she felt sort of under pressure because there was a machine coming behind her and she had to work fast. And then she was in the cane fields, the sugar cane fields. And I'm not absolutely sure what she was doing there, to be honest. Lorraine did explain it to me, and, and she showed me the irrigation system. And, and But something I did hear was a friend of Mia's said, we worked near cane fields, and there was a, there was a path cut through that field that went to our little canteen and none of us would walk along that path we always went round the long way to get to the canteen because of snakes and this is where you're putting the backpackers into a field which you which Australians wouldn't work walk through mm. so that seems to me in itself seems a bit crazy so there were these problems at work and then Back at the hostel, as you mentioned, um, she had some real concerns about the roommate, and she wasn't allowed to to, to go into a room where there were only girls. It was there was no segregation; they were just all allocated a bed in a, in a room as, as suited the owners. I think. I think Mia travelled with a young man, uh, and I think she felt safe with him there. So I think the reason she was put into um, a room with guys, a, a mixed room, was because she wanted to be in a room with Chris Porter. This is my understanding. But Chris wasn't there that night. He met somebody and he was in another room. So that fell through. But also I had asked for nobody to be put in the room. So at his trial, it was said that I had believed Mia had been put there for him to be his woman. So, mm. knowing what I now know, I think he could be right. Mm. To be perfectly honest, he wasn't just a backpacker doing his 88 days. He was, he'd been promoted. He was on a return trip. He was a supervisor. Maybe they wanted to keep him there. You know, I don't know. But he developed an obsession with Mia. He believed she was his. He wanted to marry her. He thought she was his wife, and it went from there. And then, well, well, you know the rest. Well, yes, he was. He was, uh, I think, twenty-nine years old. So, and Mia was twenty. So, you know, he considerably uh, older for a start. But um, and then, on that night, uh, I think fairly late at night, um, just all hell broke loose, didn't it? It did, and he dragged her out. Her bed at knife point pulled her out onto the balcony and in 
the CCTV cameras show him stabbing her repeatedly. And she ran, she fought him and fought him and then ran. And Daniel Richards, another backpacker from Wales, um, he stayed with me at the, you know, potential cost of his own life. And then Tom Jackson attempted to stop, to stop Iad and he was um, murdered too. He was attacked too and died later of his wound. Such a dreadful story. And and, uh, and then Iad probably wanted to kill himself. He jumped off the balcony, I think, didn't he? He did, yes. Uh, he did that after he attacked me. But he was a, I believe, a jiu-jitsu fighter. So mm-hmm. him jumping off the balcony, as opposed to anybody else jumping off the balcony, might be two different things because he would know how to land. It was a first floor balcony. So I don't know if that was a suicide attempt. It could well have been. I don't know. But he did that after he stabbed Mia and Tom Jackson approached him to make sure he was all right. And then Daniel calls Mia, uh, Tom up to see Mia. And that's when Tom realised that I had attacked Mia and then he tried to reason with Iad when Iad was in the bathroom. Mm, no reasoning there. So when when you found out about all this and you found out about the 88 days and whatever, you made a decision then that you were going to uh, campaign to improve the situation, I think. Yeah, it was more... It, it's not that I necessarily make that connection between Mia's death and the 88 days, although journalists did talk about a febrile atmosphere and police being regularly called out to the hospital to break up fights and the bar having been illegal at one point. And, you know, it was a well-known trouble spot. So, but it's not, I didn't start campaigning against Mia's death or against that hostel. It was the things I learned about the system on, you know, the whole system that made me think, actually, this is systemic, you know, this is more widespread and um, potentially other lives are at risk, you know, from some of the malpractice. A lot of that was around the circumstances in the fields. I mean, in the UK, you have to have uh, water and toileting facilities in the fields. And you know how much, you know, it's a very rainy country and it's a lot cooler than Australia. That's not a legal requirement in Australia. And yet that's a very simple thing to enforce. So you've got young people arising in Australia and, you know, some get heat stroke and survive and go to hospital and some get heat and, you know, they get heat stroke and they die. And that's happening, you know. And then you've got people using machinery they're not trained to use and accidents happening that can either, you know, a young woman uh, was made to clean a moving conveyor belt and she was literally scalped and lost an ear. And, you know, the trauma and of a life-changing accident like that. Another young woman, a talented pianist, uh, lost both her hands in a, an accident in a meat factory. Another young woman fell to her death from height because she wasn't using her harness properly. Well, I, I've climbed and I know the how stringent the errata training is that no, no worker would approach a drop without a harness if they'd been properly trained. There's no way that young woman had sufficient training. 
So it was things like this, these stories emerging that made me, I mean, and at every time something like that emerged, I took it personally, you know, I felt like I'd failed them. But then I had to rationalise that. I think, look, you don't have the power to change this. The people who do have the power to change this are not affected by it. And that's where, you know, I started to wonder what was going on. So if you could sum up what you want to change for backpackers in Australia, what would you say? Well, I think you, as Australians, know the answer to that question because there have been so many reports and um, so much publicity around what is wrong with the system that what you need now is a Royal Commission to collate all this and to come up with your own solutions. Because I can sit here from the UK and say, I want this, that and the other. But that's not going to go well, is it? What you need is to sit down with all the, the relevant industry bodies and representatives of the migrant worker community and thrash out what actually needs to change. Because you know on the ground what's happening and now you know how important these migrant workers are for your industry. Uh, you've had some success already, I think, with some Queensland legislation, but my observation just from from other areas is that uh, there's no enforcement agency, even if you get the legislation. That seems to be a critical part of whatever changes are introduced. Exactly. Well, when I first started campaigning, I was approached by an employee of the Gang Masters Labour Abuse Authority here in the UK, and I then learned about her work and how, as an enforcement officer, she had powers of arrest. That's the kind of thing you need. And I also met our uh, um, modern slavery czar, and you've now got modern slavery legislation, but you don't have a commissioner, you don't have anybody overseeing that. So you've got the bare bones of legislation, but no enforcement. That's the issue. Well, it's it's great to get uh, an outside perspective on this, even if uh, even if we only have to open our eyes to see what's happening. But uh, look, all I can say is uh, I, I wish you uh, a strong right arm in your campaigning, Rosie. And um, and I think in in those uh, words that you quote in your book, "Fly high, Mia." Uh, let's hope that um, that as a result of all this, there will be some effective change and and things will get better in this uh, in this area. Absolutely, thank you. This has been a really interesting interview, and I was really looking forward to talking to you. Actually, thank oh, you. Oh, thank you so much for talking to us. It's uh, you know, as I said, it, it really is a privilege for us. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, send us an email, and we'll be in touch. If you would like to listen to this show or any of our shows, you can go to your favourite podcast app or our website, dadsontheair.com.au, or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And we'll be back next week with another show. Mm-hmm.